Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. From the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. The brutal murders in 1987 of a mother and her two daughters terrified the residents of Anchorage. Who could commit such a barbaric act, and would he strike again? Welcome to Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Robin Bearfield, and I'm broadcasting to you from the heart of the Kodiak National Wildlife Refuge on Kodiak Island in Alaska. People moved to Alaska for various reasons, including adventure, the opportunity to make good money, a desire to live in the wilderness, and a chance to escape the problems in their lives. Alaska is not a good refuge for people with serious issues. Harsh weather and endless winter nights lead to depression. If people have psychological problems to begin with, they are likely to get worse in Alaska. Kirby Anthony was so flawed before he moved to Alaska that it's difficult to say whether his condition worsened once he lived here for a while. But from his actions, we can guess it did. Nancy Newman and her sister Cheryl Chapman were waitresses at Gwenny's, a popular Anchorage restaurant still in business today. Nancy's husband, John, worked as a heavy equipment operator for Mark Air until he was seriously injured in a forklift accident. Workers' compensation paid to have him retrained in California as a locksmith, and he was in California for his training in March 1987. Meanwhile, Nancy and her two daughters, 8-year-old Melissa and 3-year-old Angie, stayed at Anchorage, where Nancy worked as a tax accountant in addition to her job at Gwenny's. At 6 p.m. on Friday, March 13, 1987, Nancy joined Cheryl and her husband, Paul Chapman, for dinner at Gwenny's. Meanwhile, Cheryl's daughter took Nancy's children swimming. After dinner, Nancy rode with the Chapmans to their house, where they sat and talked. Later, they drove to Nancy's apartment and sat around her kitchen table smoking and drinking coffee. Melissa and Angie returned home at 9 p.m. and went to bed, and the Chapmans departed a while later. Nancy had left her car at Gwenny's that night and told the Chapmans she would get a ride to the restaurant the following day to retrieve her car. Her next shift at Gwenny's was not until 6 a.m. Sunday. 
At 8 a.m. on Sunday, a ringing telephone startled the Chapmans awake. Nancy's boss at Gwenny's apologized for calling so early, but said Nancy was two hours late for her shift. Nancy's car was still parked at the restaurant, and no one had moved it since Friday night. Her boss was concerned because Nancy was never late for work. Cheryl immediately knew something was wrong, and she and Paul hurried over to the Newman's apartment. Cheryl had keys to her sister's apartment, so they let themselves in, and Cheryl, a nervous wreck, sat at the kitchen table while Paul searched the apartment. Paul opened the door to Melissa's room, where he found the little girl's body on the floor. She lay on her back with her right arm under her back and her left arm out to the side. Both legs were bent at the knees and spread wide. Her attacker had pulled her nightgown above her waist. In the second room, Paul found Nancy dead on the bed with a pillowcase around her neck and her nightshirt pulled above her breasts. The horror got worse when he opened the third door and found three-year-old Angie Newman covered in blood. The killer had severed both her left carotid artery and her jugular vein. Paul fought to remain calm as he returned to the kitchen and told his wife, Don't go down the hall. They're all dead. Cheryl can be heard screaming in the background on the 911 tape when Paul called to report the crime. Detective Sergeant Mike Grimes, head of the homicide response team of the Anchorage Police Department, led the investigation into the Newman murders. He assigned two groups of detectives to the case. One group was responsible for gathering evidence from the crime scene, while the other would concentrate on leads and suspects. It was one of the most intensive murder investigations in the state's history. The forensic team spent two weeks combing the apartment for blood, hair, fluid samples, fingerprints, and footprints. According to Paul Chapman, Nancy had borrowed their vacuum cleaner on Friday, March 13th, and cleaned her apartment. The freshly cleaned apartment allowed the detectives to vacuum again and gather any recently shed hairs and fiber. The detectives meticulously collected, labeled, and shipped all the evidence to the state crime lab or the FBI lab. The detectives noticed two cereal bowls in the kitchen sink, a coffee cup on the kitchen table, and a few cigarette butts in the ashtray. According to Cheryl Chapman, the girls like to get up early on Saturday morning, watch cartoons, and eat cereal while Nancy drank coffee and smoked. This information led the authorities to believe the murders had occurred sometime Saturday morning. A large empty cookie jar also sat on the kitchen table, and according to John Newman, Nancy kept her tip money in the jar. The coins packaged in rolls. Also missing from the apartment were Nancy's purse and jewelry, John's keys, a checkbook, a wallet, and an expensive 35-millimeter camera. Despite the missing items, the apartment looked tidy. It had not been ransacked. The perpetrator seemed to have known exactly where to find the things he took, and he disturbed nothing else. The murderer had struck Nancy in the face several times with a blunt object, 
and then strangled her to death. The police found blood and a small amount of fecal matter on her sheets and green wool gloves near her body. They discovered blood on the underside of the bathroom light switch and a damp washcloth wadded up in the sink. Investigators recovered three pubic hairs on Melissa's bed and 13 more on or near her body. They found one pubic hair on Angie and collected two more from the floor sweepings. They found an additional hair on the wash rag in the kitchen sink. The killer had sexually assaulted all three victims, and Sergeant Grimes felt certain the perpetrator not only knew the victims, but had enjoyed himself while committing these atrocities. After he'd murdered Nancy and her daughters, he splayed their bodies as if displaying his handiwork. Grimes believed the killer was a sexual psychopath, and he consulted the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit. FBI analysts told him the murders probably were committed by someone close to the family and someone who had spent enough time at their apartment that his presence in the neighborhood early in the morning would not arouse the neighbor's suspicions. Also, according to the profile, the killer could likely keep himself under control when things were going well. But he fantasized about rape and murder and probably had assaulted other young girls. They noted that this type of person could commit a brutal murder and then act normal an hour later. The police immediately suspected John Newman's nephew, 23-year-old Kirby Anthony. Anthony and his girlfriend had moved to Anchorage from Twin Falls, Idaho in 1985, when the authorities in Idaho accused him of raping and brutally beating a 12-year-old girl at a campground near town. Prosecutors never filed charges against Anthony because the young girl was the only witness to the crime, and the beating she'd received had left her so brain-damaged that she could not identify her attacker. Anthony had denied raping and beating the girl. But a few years earlier, in 1982, he'd confessed to robbing an elderly, wheelchair-bound woman in her home. Before leaving the woman's house, he tied her up and sprayed mace in her face. When he later withdrew his confession to robbing and assaulting the woman, prosecutors dismissed the case against him. Anthony had also been arrested numerous times for burglary. When his problems escalated in Idaho, Anthony fled to Anchorage, where his Uncle John and Aunt Nancy lived. He and his girlfriend stayed with the Newmans for a month in 1986 before taking jobs on a fishing boat in Dutch Harbor. Once aboard the Arctic Enterprise, Anthony's girlfriend broke up with him when she grew tired of his abusive behavior, and a short while later, Anthony was fired. Two months after after leaving Anchorage to work on the Arctic Enterprise, Kirby Anthony returned to Anchorage and took a taxi to Nancy Newman's apartment. By this time, John was in California training as a locksmith. Kirby asked Nancy if he could stay at her apartment for a while, and she reluctantly agreed. His volatile temper and drug use concerned her, and she didn't like having him around the girls. John was unhappy when he heard Kirby was living in their apartment, and he told Nancy to kick him out. Nancy asked Anthony to leave, and while he complied, 
he reportedly was furious with his aunt. According to Anthony, he'd spent the night of March 13th drinking alcohol and using cocaine at a dice-playing party across the street from where he lived. He'd stayed up all night and returned to his apartment the following morning when his roommate was getting ready for work. The roommate said Anthony left again around 8.45 a.m. Anthony said he then went to the home of his friend Kirk Mullins and arrived there around 9 a.m. Mullins said Anthony didn't come to his place until between 10 and 11 a.m. He did say, however, that when Anthony arrived, he acted normal, as if nothing were wrong. If Kirby Anthony was the murderer, the police wondered how could he savagely rape and murder three family members and then carry on a casual conversation an hour later. The detectives asked Anthony for the clothes he had been wearing Friday and Saturday morning, and they then searched his apartment, where they found John Newman's camera. Anthony claimed Nancy had let him borrow the camera. The clothes they collected were reasonably clean, but analysts found a drop of blood on his shoe and discovered a spot of feces on his shirt. In the era before DNA analysis, the investigators determined the blood was human, but the sample yielded no other information. While the crime lab continued to test the evidence, the Anchorage Police Task Force played mind games with Anthony. They sporadically tailed him, making sure he saw the tail. And two of the detectives talked to him frequently, playing good cop, bad cop with him. By April 15th, Anthony felt the pressure, and he climbed in his truck and fled for the Canadian border, asking his roommate not to tell the police where he'd gone. His roommate immediately called the Anchorage police, and the authorities stopped Anthony at the border. The police brought Anthony back to Anchorage and arrested him for the murders of Nancy, Melissa, and Angie Newman. The detectives knew they had the killer in custody, but they had no witnesses and no direct pieces of evidence to tie Anthony to the crimes. They had uncovered no murder weapon, nor were they lucky enough to find Anthony's bloody fingerprints in the apartment. Anthony's conviction weighed heavily on the forensic evidence and its analysis. However, he'd lived with the Newmans, so it was likely the police would find his fingerprints in the apartment. But there was not a good reason why his prints were on the empty cookie jar where Nancy stashed her tip money. After the murders, witnesses saw Anthony use rolls of coins to pay for things. Pubic hairs removed from the victim's body and found on the damp washcloth in the bathroom sink looked identical to those collected from Kirby Anthony. Still, the hairs could not be matched definitively to one person. More damning were the lice egg casings clinging to some of the pubic hairs collected from the bodies and to the one collected from the rag in the sink. At the time of the murders, Anthony had pubic lice. The washcloth also had green wool fibers on it, and the fibers matched the gloves found near Nancy Newman's body. The gloves were covered with hair pulled from Nancy's head. It appeared as though the perpetrator had attacked Nancy while wearing the green gloves. He then removed the gloves, 
and went into the bathroom to clean himself with the washcloth, leaving behind wool fibers and a pubic hair covered with lice egg casings. The detectives also believed Anthony had gotten feces on his shirt from the spot on Nancy Newman's bed. The prosecution struggled with the task of explaining to the jury how anyone could brutally murder three people and then act perfectly normal an hour later. FBI agent John Douglas with the Behavioral Science Unit explained that the FBI categorizes acts such as those perpetrated against the Newman family as sex power killings. These premeditated acts are committed by a sane person with a character disorder. While the perpetrator knows the difference between right and wrong, he doesn't care. He lacks a conscience. If he feels no remorse, then he has no reason to act guilty after committing a brutal act. Once the attorneys had presented all the evidence, the jury deliberated for two days before returning a verdict of guilty on all counts. Kirby Anthony's sentence was so long that he would not even be eligible for parole for 120 years. When handing down the sentence, the judge stated that Kirby Anthony was the most dangerous offender ever to enter his courtroom. The Newman murders understandably outraged the residents in the city of Anchorage, and Kirby Anthony received numerous death threats. The crime even sparked a movement to reinstate the death penalty in Alaska, but the movement never gained traction. This case is an excellent example of the use of forensic evidence to capture and convict a murderer. Thanks to the many hours the crime scene investigators spent combing through the Newman apartment collecting evidence, the prosecution was able to build a solid, circumstantial case and put Kirby Anthony behind bars where he belonged. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to my patrons for your support. Check out the show notes for more information on how you can support this podcast and unlock extra episodes by joining the Last Frontier Club. If you haven't already done it, be sure to join the Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier Facebook group and chat about the podcast. I'll see you soon for the next episode of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.